In today's show, very contrary, Christian Vieri, striker, DJ, banker, grumpiest man in football. Also, Napoli and Inter say goodbye to the Champions League. Cesare Prandelli says hello to Genoa. And Turin Derby, should we care? That's all in today's show. <laughs> hello, Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. And hello, James Horncastle. Hey. And hello, you, listener. You're back, aren't you? Great. We've got an exciting episode, I think, for you today as we delve into the man, the mystery that is Christian... Vieri. Before that, though, because this is a Wednesday morning just after two Italian sides have exited the Champions League, we should uh, salute Inter, Inter who are now outer, and uh, and Napoli who have gone out at the hands of Roma, James Holmcastle. Oh, yeah, that was pretty (laughs) devastating to see. First Salah score and then Alisson with that stoppage time save. Again, I think uh, if you're a Romanista right now, not a good place to be. Yeah. But they are in the round of 16 in the Champions League. Yeah, they're through, but Salah and Alisson have, have done for Napoli. I do want to point out, since there's only one spot yet to be decided in the round of 16 of the Champions League, and people love drawing deep conclusions about, you know, oh, this league is stronger than that league, and they've got four teams through and whatever. Napoli and Inter go out with the exact same points and the exact same goal difference as Liverpool and, and Tottenham. And whichever way you slice it, results-wise anyway... That is yet another big leap forward in, in what was really, really tough, mm. um, tough group. I well, think. for Napoli, certainly really tough group. PSG, Liverpool, Red Star, who proved to be a, a, a very difficult team, particularly away from home. Could they have done more? Is anything Ancelotti could have done better? Do you think? Maybe that nil-nil draw in Belgrade or the, well, the last-minute equaliser in Paris? Times. Yeah, I know, well, of course. But mm. you know, there's, there's things that... Liverpool and PSG could have done better too, you know. You can't, I don't think you can break it down like that. What what I thought was really interesting, and I shall be writing about this in in a form of cross-promotion for ESPN, um, was Spalletti afterwards taking all the blame for for the Inter PSV game. Generally, I don't buy this whole mentality, psychology thing. I think it's kind of nonsense. It's because you're mentally weak, Gab. Exactly, I'm mentally weak. Yeah, I don't believe it's mentally strong, mentally weak. I think you're on the pitch, you execute, you try your hardest. I think 99.9% of footballers are like that. Yeah. If there's a game, though, where for whatever reason, whether it was the instructions from the manager, maybe he was the one who's mentally weak, they screwed it up mentally. It was the PSV game. Jorge spoke about this afterwards, you know. They go out there. The whole build-up is, are Barcelona going to try against Tottenham? You know, what are we going to do? It's out of our hands. What if Barcelona send out, like, the janitor and, and the cook and Vermaelen? And they did send out Vermaelen, although, they, and a bunch of guys nobody had heard of. The £250 million pound players, Coutinho and uh, Usman Dembele. Yeah, I know, but it's still Vermaal and, sure. and this guy, get, this guy Miranda. Point. I don't know if that's his son yeah. or who the and hell then, that guy yeah. is. You know, And you had to go and beat PSV. And PSV are a team that you had a really difficult time against when you played them before. They're not a bad team. You should know... It's a young team. They're top of the table. I think they're they're undefeated. In, uh, no, they they lost to Feyenoord, but they've scored fifty three goals. They're still two points ahead of yeah. the IX team that we all rave about. For a lot of these guys, you're, you're playing with house money. You need to be prepared for that. Instead, what happens? They go a goal down, and all of a sudden they freak out. They start playing with an absolute frenzy. I mean, so much of this is about getting the balance right between playing with intensity and urgency because mm-hmm. you want to score. But equally, executing, being calm, let, you know, letting the fact that you're technically superior to the opposition, supposedly, make the difference. 
And there was none of that. And I feel bad because, and I've, I love this stat, but Inter have the sixth highest attendance in Europe. Yeah. Inter fans deserve better. That's the thing. What was it? 67,000 at San Siro. This huge game against the team that was bottom of the of the group. They had to get it right. Well, they had two Inter- chances, remember, because they could have already been through a fortnight ago had they got a point at Wembley against Spurs and they went very close to doing that. It's got to be very disappointing when... I mean, Ancelotti said this um, after the, the Napoli-Liverpool game is that we had the most uh, difficult fixture for our most important game, which mm. is Liverpool away at Anfield, the last game. Inter quote-unquote, had arguably their easiest opponent in the biggest in the biggest game at home at San Siro. They should have taken care of business. Instead, they completely kind of, as Gab said, as soon as they went behind, they started playing in a frenzy and seemed to really seem to feed off all the kind of nervosismo that was going on around them. And that's on the manager, though. Right? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, you, you can go there and be like, look, I'm the Zen master with my shaved head and everything. But you know what? They, it comes down to what you tell you tell the players, right? We, we can say, I mean, part of me it makes a point, well, you know, Inter aren't mature enough as a team the first time back in Europe, but just... It's PSV I'm going to raise a question all the, here. The, the all these guys are veterans as well. The right? headline on the Gazette this morning was Inter Champions, which I, I think is shamey. The, the, the Inter fools, essentially, no. I think it comes from Champio, actually. Ah, oh, yeah. right, sorry, yeah. But which means... Like, sort of disgrace, mess. Mm. Right. You know. Yeah, you're right. That's better. Inter, although they were in a position to go through with a victory against PSV, a lot of that was based on lucky last minute goals, on, on things falling their way. And it could easily have come to this game without them being anywhere near qualifying. You know, yeah, I no, I, I completely agree. And obviously, the last minute winner against I think they're not run out to an extent. The, the late equalizer against Barcelona. They at go home. behind against PSV. Handanovic should be sent off. Mm. And Marvan Bommel after the game yesterday, was saying if that had happened in the game at Eindhoven, we would probably be going through right now. Yeah. So, so this check was a little bit in the mail. It, it was, but that doesn't mean that you don't expect them to raise their level on sure. the night because there were, they've also had performances where they have raised their level, like against Roma, for example, where I thought they played really well. Mm. So there's a ton of work to do. I, I just hope that as a club, they don't go and squander all the political capital they've built up. Right. The fact well, that also, they, they, I mean, this is got a, the audience, the fans are there, they want it, you know? This is a very emotional team, I would say. And, emotional club. And I think what happened last night, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see whether this sends them into a spiral mm. because that has been a, that has been a real trademark of their, their seasons for the last six years, really. Yeah, I mean, it, they're kind of already in one. It, when you look at the results, one win in seven now. Yeah, and that was against Frosinone, but... As Gab, I think, said earlier, I mean, they have played, what, Barca, yeah. Spurs, Roma, Roma in that yeah. time. Yeah, so don't be mean, James. Yeah. And the performances have kind of been better than the results would suggest on the whole, I would say. Okay. Well, Europa League for Inter and Napoli. We'll talk more about state of play in Italy a little bit later on. But this weekend, this Saturday, brings us one of the great fixtures, the Turin Derby. Torino taking on Juventus, an occasion for us to delve into the vaults and... Have a look back at a man who played for both those clubs and indeed pretty much everybody else in Europe. Christian Vieri. Always nice to hear a little bit of Luca Carboni there with Chivoli on Fisico Bestiale, which... Christian Vieri certainly had. He's a difficult man to define. We've had a lot of requests to 
Directify himself, James, as a bombier. Is that what he said? Which is someone who scores on and off the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> nice. He was a busy guy, as you say, in both his professional life and, and indeed his uh, social life. A big grumpy lump, though. Scored some incredible goals. Once spent a whole season not celebrating them. Lived the high life. Also moved back in with his mum. Set incredible records for goal scoring, but also would have been happier, he says, just playing cricket. What do you think of, Gab, when you think of Bobo Vieri? On the pitch, what I think of, and it's not a specific goal, I think he scored one like this for, for Italy, but he scored a million goals like this, is one of those sort of through balls, and he sort of runs onto it, and you know he flattens one defender and outruns the other one because he had this incredible combination of power and really probably quicker than any guy his size, his size that, that yeah. you can remember, certainly of, of that era. And one of the things he often gets ignored, because he's sort of this cartoonish figure, because he he has this accent when he speaks, which is still slightly Australian-reflected, <laughs> because obviously he, he grew up there playing for Marconi Stallions. With where, uh, Paul Ocon. Mm, yeah. A very gifted footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember Benny Carbone telling me, who played with him, in the Torino youth team, that he was so bad, he was such a great athlete, but he was so bad technically at the time that the manager would simply just ask him to whip it in. They had a scheme where Bobo would run sort of in front of the defender and Benny's job was just try to whip the ball in so it would bounce off of some part of Bobo Vieri, whether so his head or his leg or whatever. How when did he learn his... to play football then? Well, no, but this is this is great because he obviously didn't learn it with his roommate with the under-21s because that was Pippo Inzaghi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because these are, these are two guys who famously can't play football. He lives in Miami now. And uh, my colleague from ESPN, Matteo Bonetti, worked with him. Um, and essentially, you know, he has, a, he has a convertible Bentley that he drives up and down South Beach at night and during the day. He drives along South Beach on, he switches to a scooter and just kind of like circles around, you know, looking at the beautiful sights. That's what he's doing now. Let's take it back then, all the way back to Bobo, fresh off the plane from Australia at the age of 14. His family, they'd moved out to Australia. Because his dad was a professional footballer. Mm-hmm. Roberto Vieri, mm-hmm. who played for Marconi Stallions, and, and, and Bobo comes back and he, he acquired his love for cricket in Australia. Alan Border was his big, uh, big sporting hero. But at 14, they moved back to Prato, just to the west of um, Florence. And he starts to play football seriously and he gets noticed. And he begins this run of nine years and nine different clubs. He breaks through at Torino. Nine clubs or clubs? <laughs> yes, I should think considerably more nightclubs. But okay, 91 92. He gets his breakthrough at Torino. I think he debuts in the Coppa Italia at the age of 18. Yeah, he's on the bench when they're reaching the UEFA Cup semi-final and final, mm. uh, which they lost to, to Ajax. Indeed. All of this under Mondonico. We were talking about this. This is the same team as Lentini. Uh, has one season there, moves to Pisa. Has one season there, moves to Ravenna. Then to Venezia. All one season, then he moves on. Next up, he moves to Serie A with Atalanta, where he teams up with Pippo Inzaghi for the first time. And does well enough there that the European champions Juventus come in for him. To replace Gianluca Vialli and, or Fabrizio Lavanelli. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, Boxage coming in at the same time. No? Yeah. yeah. Is he Dan? Yeah, was what funny. a grumpy front two they were. I mean, well, he... Boxic and, and Vieri. <laughs> no smiles there. No. Vialli might have said, wow, look, look who they replaced me with. 
because it's not that he was bad. It's just that when you're that size and you're sort of bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else, but then you get on the ball and you mishit it, you look really, really bad. You look worse than like a normal sized person doing it. And um, I don't, I don't think that went down too well. Oh. I mean, we played in Vieira with Chivoli and Fisico Bestiale when he went to Juventus in that time. He talks about Ventrone, the uh, fitness coach, sort of half an hour just of abs, ninety minutes in the gym, and then your normal kind of two session day. Kind Plus of all your dietary supplements as well. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so guess how long he stays at Juventus. For a year, James, one season. That's because right. Atletico Madrid offer to pay him five times more what he's getting paid at Juventus. So what does what does Christian Vieri do? He thinks I could stay with the team that keeps getting to Champions League finals. I could go and make some more money with Jesus Heel. Yeah, yeah. and maybe hang yeah. out in Marbella in the summer. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about Atletico Madrid is when he arrives, there's so much skepticism because you know, especially back I mean, still today, obviously, but yeah, Spain they like to technically gifted footballers. And they see this big guy who just doesn't really speak. He just kind of like grunts. He's like some sort of caveman. And they know that, whereas most of the footballers, even the single ones, they they live in those sort of like Madrid um, suburbs, those urbanizaciones, as they call them, with the, with like, you know, the swimming pool and whatever. No, like he he goes and he, he, he buys an, or he rents an apartment, like a penthouse on top of like second tallest building in Madrid and there's a lot of stories immediately even before the season starts about his partying and the the, the company that, that 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 he would keep and the the intimate souvenirs that they would leave behind that may or may not have been kind of nailed to the wall now it might be an urban legend but he had a ton of fun but what was amazing though people said all right this guy is like you know what is this like but then he starts playing, right? And he just keeps scoring and scoring, and he cannot stop scoring. I He's think he scored Pichichi. He scores twenty-four goals in, in twenty-four that games, which 24 is pretty unreal. Hmm. And when you make it all all competitions, thirty-two appearances, twenty-nine goals, and making it all competitions enables us to talk about the most iconic goal that he scored in Spain. That ridiculous one against Pauk. Basically, it's a it's a lost ball. The ball is heading out towards the corner flag. The keeper goes after it and then gives it up because that one's gone. Vieri doesn't manage to get to it stops it on the touchline, essentially, and from there, swivels and kicks without even hesitating and does this impossible geometrically shot into the goal. Just like when you see people score from corner kicks, but it's obviously it closer range and it's done without you know any kind of in movement at all run yeah. up stop bang and it's the last person in the world that you'd expect it from yeah. at that stage and that's when people say like well he does have some technical ability after all he's not just you know bam bam out there it is an extraordinary goal it's well worth looking at it's uh, Atletico Madrid against Pauk uh, from the 97-98 season when that season ends he's off again uh, this he's time, more money. <laughs> <laughs> well, this time he goes to Cranioti's uh, Lazio, where he uh, where he partners up with the Marcelo Salas and cardboard Boxic again. And Boxic, right? Mm. Uh, and they have some Did success. They cardboard Boxic. <laughs> 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 they win the last ever Cup Winners' Cup. Uh huh. And he scores a great goal in uh, the final at Villa Park. Which again is, I think, uh, symbolic of Vieri. Uh, he kind of made long-range goals look like tap-ins. I mean, he scores a header, a towering header from outside the box in this game, um, into the top corner. Nedved in the end wins it 
But yeah, and then he's off again, James. He moves on because now Marcello Lippi says, I need him at Inter. That's the key piece that's going to make Inter winners. And they make Bobo Vieri the most expensive player in the world. At the time, a record transfer fee of 32 million euros. He scored a hat-trick on his debut. And uh, Diego Simeone, no? Yeah. Going the other way. Mm. Which would also <laughs> work out really well. Yeah, which, you know, it's, it's another one of those great intermoves. It would come back to haunt them on May 5th, 2002, of course. Yeah, Sorry, also, Gab. Sorry. No, no. Also, you lose your emotional heartbeat and leader, El Cholo, and you know that because, you know, deep down, he's he's a wild animal filled with righteous rage, but also, you know, also calculating brain. He would go and become a legend somewhere else. Mm. and. Or build upon his legend somewhere else. So it proved. Vieri, meanwhile, he had a big lump who was just injured all the time. And well, he stayed. So he stays six seasons at Inter. So that's almost his, his defining club. Yeah, he was. Um, I think he's the uh, eighth all-time top scorer in in their history. 103 goals for them in 143 appearances. He was partner up with somebody who was pretty good. Also, Phenomenal. fast and powerful. Ronaldo. Well, yeah, but he, they, they barely played together. Well, they, that's what I was going to get to. Uh-huh. Like, they ended up playing like three times together. They played hard off the pitch, though. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. No, so that you had R- Ronaldo uh, sometimes. You had uh, Roberto Baggio for a while in there. You had Crespo, Adriano. Well, in 2002, James, when they went so close to winning the league title, I think the strike partnership that um, played the most games for them was Ventola and uh, Calon. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He does score 103 goals and 143 appearances in the Inter-Parma one, which is just special. It's Is it Moriero, I think, who puts the ball in? So he gets the ball with his back to goal. and He's he, marked by Lillian Turam, by the way. And he does this move which kind of leaves Turam for dead, doesn't he? He kind of shifts it back inside and just in that move he maybe gains a yard on Turam and then within the blink of an eye he's hit it. It's gone top corner, Buffon sees it but can't get anywhere near it and it's a really kind of one of those classic Bobo goals I would say Kigol Signori indeed so there he is he's doing amazing things and he's fast becoming the star the fundamental part of the Italian national side my impression though that he's still not entirely happy about this. I mean, for example, the 2001-2002 season where he will not celebrate goals. He scores at San Siro and will just turn away from the fans and walk slowly back to the centre circle. What was going on? <laughs> what, in that, in that particular... That year, he said that the fans had treated him un- un- unfairly because they were kind of calling him out for not being as good as he used to be. Well, and also, like, he had a real kind of up and down, I'd say mostly down relationship in the end with Inter's owner Massimo Moratti because he felt that Moratti would basically go and talk to journalists all the time, complain to journalists about certain performances, his fitness... Um, Moratti always had his kind of darlings. Vieri was briefly one of them, but it was mainly El Chino Recoba. It was then Adriano. Um, and um, I think there was always this kind of sense that he doubted when he w- whether he was fit or not. Um, I think there was a time when Vieri was in the stands um, and um, this woman was sat behind him and basically taps him on the shoulder and says, you're not a great professional, you know, get your act together. He starts insulting her. He then finds out that's Massimo Moratti's wife. Um, and just a general kind of all those kind of things. Because the team weren't winning, just as you know, they hadn't done for, for a long time, uh-huh. you have this situation where he becomes the lightning rod of everything. Right. And different players would have handled it differently. And I think certain players always get scapegoated. 
Some of them know how to handle it with the media. Here you have a guy who had horrendous relationship with the media, mainly right. because, like I said, he didn't really speak Italian. He's just monosyllabic grunts. And who took it personally, like the incident you said with with uh, Massimo Moratti's wife and stuff. He's not helping himself, so all of a sudden he becomes the problem. Right. When in fact... He should have been the solution for Inter. Right. And for the national team as well. And this, this, this brings us on to really what happened in 2004. Vieri has an extraordinary record. He played in nine World Cup games for, for Italy across two World Cups. He scored nine goals, a goal a game at the World Cup. It's just amazing. But yet what we remember, I think more than anything, is the disappointments, the miss against South Korea that are ultimately set them up for the exit in 2002 and the hideous yeah that's what did it wasn't it it was the miss against south korea nothing to do with byron moreno okay i'm kidding yeah it was an ingredient it was he could have been stronger than byron moreno yeah well he was in front of a i mean a wide open goal at that point and it it can happen not his finest but i mean you said 1998 when it was kind of very much Bobo is the guy up front and then it's one of badger and del piero and he scored what five five goals in four games uh, in that tournament um, and was still very, very young um, in France but um, quite a curious relationship is with uh, with the national team because he would later say you know, that his big regret was obviously not being a part of the squad in 2006 2006 right well, so okay. and 2002 and sorry in 2000 right had he been around we might have had an entirely different outcome so he too. misses out on the runners up medal in 2000 uh, the European through Championships through injury 2004 he is there but so is Trapattoni, and Italy come up with a hideous campaign in the European Championships in Portugal. After the draw with Sweden, there were reports in the press that Vieri and Buffon had fallen out over Buffon's mistake, and Buffon supposedly had said, why didn't you score at the other end? And when those reports surfaced, Bobo Vieri, as you say, who had his own unique way of handling criticism, came out and gave the most extraordinary press conference I've ever seen from a footballer. You can criticise me as a player if I play well or not, if I score or not, but I don't care anything about you I'm more of a man than all of you put together. I can walk down the street with my head high. In the morning, I could look at myself in the mirror. You can't. And when they went out, wasn't there uh, one of the player ratings in Gazetta which said, uh, you may be more of a man than all of us, but here's a nice four and a half out of ten for your performance in that game. <laughs> You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. So a guy with a certain amount of anger, and it turns out, going back to his Inter days, that there was good reason for him to feel suspicious about Moratti because it subsequently emerges that the club had employed a private detective to follow him and were tapping his phone. Yeah, so an investigation was launched into that. Um, allegations that it wasn't just Vieri, that they were also following Adrian Mutu um, and even Vladimir Yukovic uh, at some point. How normal is this, Gab, that a club would pay to have surveillance of their players? So I think within reason, there have been rumours, and, and I think this happens in the Premier League too. They don't necessarily have surveillance, but they want to know what the players are doing, if they're, they're out partying and so on. Phil Neville with his national side as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think at Inter, they took it to another level with wiretaps and, and surveillance. And I think specifically in Vieri's case... Because Vieri had this enormous contract, they were looking for reasons to either get him to renegotiate uh-huh. or maybe invalidate his contract. Because I believe he was one of the top three paid players in the world at the time. The only thing that came out from what they found is that you know sometimes what sped a little too fast and was yeah 
went through red lights and that was it. That was all. They, okay, that's all they found. He sues them anyway when it emerges. He successfully sues them. He cited them for fourteen million pounds worth of damages for moral and existential damage to his public image. Well, I so think it, it led to depression and insomnia. That's right. Yeah. See, this is the thing with Vieri because he he appears to be very, as you mentioned before, a kind of almost like a one-dimensional footballing kind of a, a goal machine. But it, it does seem there's an underlying unhappiness behind a, a lot of things that that occurred, his constant moves from one club to another. Um, I think it was also because, and again, I, I, didn't, I don't know the guy well at all, but I know people who know him very well. He's actually an intelligent guy, mm. but he's not an educated guy. And so the theory that's been put to me is he never had the tools to kind of express or, or channel his thoughts and his feelings and, and then the way he felt and it kind of all came out at once and it came out in weird ways and you know with outbursts or or, or whatever um but he was sensitive to what happened but then he couldn't show it he probably had the whole aussie macho man nonsense and it it created this sort of very complicated psychological picture to the mm. guy which of course inter being inter they never understood and basically every mistake they could have made in handling what, you know, the guy who's probably, dare I say, over time, if you count longevity, the best center forward that they've had, yeah, I want to say since Spilo Altobelli, because I was a fan, but no, he was probably even more effective than Spilo Altobelli. I mean, Italy's best center forward since when? Gigi, Gigi Riva, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, but you they managed to screw it all up. You mentioned his, his intelligence and, and, and looking at his the deals that he's done. I mean... It's not a coincidence, probably, the fact that he's got this incredible portfolio of activity. He he was involved in setting up a bank. I mean, admittedly, it's not there anymore, but Banco Farnese, which he, he and Pippo Inzaghi helped uh, set up. Uh, <laughs> you're making your, your my God, face. <laughs> That's I, I want to look after my fortune. Right. He, Pippo uh, Inzaghi. Uh, actually, you know what? Pippo would probably be really good at it. Well, he actually... Probably, he's probably, I imagine him to be such a miser. He got out early, Pippo. Oh, right. Yeah. He's got Sweet clothing like Sweet Years with Paolo Maldini. Mm -hmm. He's got another clothing brand with uh, Christian Brock, you know? Yeah, if you, uh, yeah, who's one of his. Bacci e Bracci. Hugs and Kisses. If you there come you out of the uh, Moscova metro line in Milan, you'll see their kind of restaurant and hangout where they're always basically there. Oh, yeah? When yeah. they're not in Miami Beach. When they're not, no, not in Miami, yeah. Right. And he's got his DJ line now. But and the other thing he did was, I mean, he made a spectacularly profitable exit from Inter. The, at the time, the story was that the club had, had basically bought him out of his contract in order to facilitate a move to, to Tottenham and thus were massively shocked when two days later he signed on a free for their crosstown rivals Milan. And he did it out of spite. I mean, I mean, he was also like, I think he called up Paolo Maldini and said, do you guys need a striker? And Paolo was like, well, we've got Inzaghi, Giladino. I think they had Ronaldo at the time, did they? Um, and uh, he ends up going there and he admits that he tried so hard because he really wanted to kind of prove into wrong. Right. Really sort of well, he unfortunately didn't work out. He had one goal, I think. And that was, was that um, the season leading into the, the World Cup? He ends yes. up going to Monaco. Mm. He's desperate for a place, as you say, in the uh, Italian side for the World Cup, having had a rough time of it so far. But does his knee playing for Monaco under Francesco Guidolin mm. uh, against PSG and, and, and doesn't go to Germany. So he misses the 2006 World Cup. He returns to Italy and we have this uh, basically a return to his nomadic ways and this curious postscript to the glory years. So after Monaco, in July 2006, he signs for Sampdoria, then before the season can even start, leaves Sampdoria and joins Atalanta instead on, and remember, this is a guy who's basically been 
coining it in. Minimum wage now. Minimum wage of 1,500 euros a month, but with a bonus of 100 grand for every goal he scores. And he only scored two. Yeah, but... one of them. (laughs) Okay, so to set this up, so here's a guy who basically by now has become a washed-up former glory, yeah? Mm. In most people's mind. He hasn't scored a goal, I think, for 18 months as he takes the field for Atalanta against Empoli. And then what happens? Well, he receives the ball just inside um, Empoli's half. Was it Siena? Siena, no? Oh, you're right. Sorry, it's Siena, yeah. Um, Because he tried this against Empoli early in the season, and in trying it, he basically injured himself. (laughs) It was out for ages. But he has another go this time, and he he receives the ball back to goal, and the ball is fired into him. It's not just straight to feet. And he manages to turn all in one movement, and then notice, I think, Manninger is off his line, and then just hits it from about, what, 40, 45 yards? And it loops over Manninger and bounces in. Fantastic. Gol dell'anno, gol di bobo. And then it's back home to Tuscany. He joins Fiorentina where, in another surprise, he moves back in with his mother, who lives in Prato, Prato and he gets to train in with the commuters every morning to go to the Elenamenti. Yeah, and pretends he's just a lookalike. Is that right? On the platform with a lot of, I mean, he can't obviously pass it off all the time. Because, because it becomes a big story. I mean... This is when he started wearing those glasses, right? To mm. make himself look like he was like some kind of accountant. Right? <laughs> it's one of those things like, you know how like in the, super, in, in the Superman movies, uh-huh. right? Like... Clark Kent. And yeah, then he, then he takes the glasses off and you can tell it's Superman. Then he puts right. the glasses back on, you know, and then like, oh, look, wait, who's that? Like, where did Superman go? You, you know, like... Interesting, Lois, it? it's just me. He says, I wanted to go and live with my mother... And just live the simple life. Get the train in the morning. His mom's French now. Yeah. Yeah. Just I was not expecting that from, from Christian Vieri. And, uh, I mean, I hope now with his bobo dance and his DJing that he's found what he was looking well, for. He's become on a that. dad. He's just in the last right. week. Yeah. It seems that like he, he might be settling down. Maybe this was another reason why Moratti was um, uh, commissioning these private detectives because he had a string of relationships with very famous showgirls, if you like. And, yeah, would have some quite explosive tiffs with them. Mm. I think Elisabetta Canalis, didn't she? He left his phone on whilst he went to sleep and she got his phone and went through the messages, didn't find anything that she particularly liked and so wrote some kind of insult in spray paint on his Porsche Cayenne, which then Bobo just looked at and just, I think it was parked at a hotel at the time and just gave the keys to the, the valet driver, just said, you can have the car. There you go. I just feel Vieri, I mean, he had an incredible career financially he made a packet he's done brilliant deals he's played all over the world been a top scorer in spain top scorer in italy and yet i i mean when i think of his career i think of a career that didn't live up to what i was expecting probably what he was hoping either is that fair i i would amend that because i go back to what he was like when he came through and the way italian football viewed him as simply a battering ram so his career began with very you know low expectations that you know you might be a competent, say to be Mr. Bump type footballer. Then the expectations got very, very high afterwards. So he really had, uh, I, I think, that, that up and down. And for whatever else that we remember him for, whether it's it's, it's the women or the, 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 the way he spoke or whatever else, we need to bear in mind that there was that period when he improved, you know, as a professional, as an adult, probably as much as as any footballer that that I can think of. And again, 
I can only assume, even though I don't think he's talked about it, that there is an element of hard work and 10,000 hours. I don't think oh, it was just I mean, somebody flicking hates, on a switch. He hates it whenever it's put to him that he was not a professional. Um, yeah, he always bangs on about, I was first to arrive at training and last to leave and all this sort of thing. And who cares if I party hard because I always put in the work, the time, in training and in games. You can't reproach me for any of that. But, you know, as you said... I think there was a, there was always this kind of feeling that those injuries were because he was he was playing hard, but also he was kind of partying hard as, uh, as well. Right. Work hard, play hard. Well, you can combine the, the the two. Of course, that's what he does now with his new career as Bobo DJ and Bobo Dance. Wish we could hear more of that. Uh, just as a final coda on all of this, some people say there are no real friendships in football but there's one that I can think of and it is Bobo Vieri and Pippo Inzaghi yeah well I mean roommates as, as I said but uh, also figure fairly highly in what a song was it Gab's was it the foot, fo- foot volley so foot volley summer fo- tournament which yeah. is very much his yeah. thing that's how he keeps mind. in shape yeah this is somebody who lives in Miami Beach where it's summer all the time and then in, in when it's summer in Europe he comes over and he lives on the beach in in Italy and he organizes these events on the beach and stuff. And he came up with this song, which I remember one summer, it felt like it was like playing continuously. And basically what it says is, is if only I had people in Zaggy's money and his life, which is all about sex, yoga, and rock and roll. I don't know about the rock and roll part, but I'm uh-huh. sure Pippo Inzaghi does a lot of sort of highly sexualized or highly sort of like tantric yoga types. Mm. In between having his brisaula and plasmon. Yeah. yeah. Keep that in your mind, listener, as we take a short break for someone to say go out to. And then we return with what Pippo Inzaghi's life is currently filled oh, with and the rest of the current Syria situation. This weekend, it's Torino-Juve, one of the most passionate, uh, etc. and so on fixtures. Tristan rivalries and that. I've got to admit, my heart's not in it. I was saying this to you yesterday, James, that just not feeling it. Why? Why? because he sucks the life and fun out of well, everything he gotta touches. S- got to say, poor old Mazzari had a, a nasty scare, and he's, he he's back from a, a He did. Um, and then he was back, what, a week later? Yeah. And then he's getting all angry on the touchline, getting sent off for the third time. I mean, It's not right. The stress levels of this man. So that's part of the problem. Walter Mazzari is a hard manager to love. But also Urbano Cairo, the (laughs) Torino owner, is a hard owner to love. And it's just a team that, I don't know, can they do anything against Juve? It would be great if they were the ones to inflict the first league defeat on Juventus this season. It'd be great if anyone were. I mean, I don't mean against Juve, but just, you know, for Serie A. But yeah. Actually, they're undefeated away from home, uh-huh. but unfortunately, this match is not at Lo Stadium, as Andrea Agnelli insists on calling And they it. are sixth, uh, which is this... kind of on course with where they want to be because Torino have spent actually quite a lot of money in the last couple mm. of years, and they really want to get back into the Europa League, which is where Giampiero Ventura took them. But they're very solid. I can see your point, James, in that they're not the nicest team to watch because the guys up front are not scoring any goals. Bellotti yeah. has not really been the same for the last year. 
they're trying to figure out a way of playing him, Simone Zaza and Iago Falke. Mm. Iago's probably the best player in this team. But aside from that, it is very it is very Mazzari. Chelsea fans, if you watch the game, look out for on loan fullback Ola Aina. Yeah. Who's actually been playing He's actually pretty right. good, yeah. yeah. That's the uh, the Turin derby, and it's coming up on Saturday. You very fresh from another derby, of course. The derby of Italy. Mm. And they beat Inter 1-0. We spoke about that already a little bit on uh, Totally Football Show. Anything you want to add about that game? Inter looked impressive, lost... Yeah, Inter looked impressive for a while, and then then Clever Clog takes off Politano for Porja Valero because we need more possession in midfield. Because, but you know, even then Inter played well. But you know, they hit the post with Gagliardini, and then they had that other chance. Was it was it Perisic who just kind of stupidly scuffs it, mm-hmm. Perisic style? And you just know that sooner or later, you know, Juventus are going to move into third gear and score. And Mandzukic scores, and they've, they're off to the best ever start by an Italian side ever. Yarn. Well, and also um, matching the best ever start by any team in Europe's top five leagues as well. PSG? Yeah, match that as well. But I mean, you, you had Cancelo in this game, who sort of, for most people, comes out of it man of the match. But again, it's very much kind of like, I'm just going to go forward all the time. I'm not going to really care much about Politano. And Politano was probably creating into his best chances. It was when he went off that they just lost all the kind of momentum that they had. And Cancelo's the one who basically, you know, ends up putting the ball in the box for, for Mandzukic. And that's that. Mandzukic having his best ever season for Juve. And again, just, it's becoming very much a trademark. Just mismatch at the far post with a with a fullback. Quadra Samoa, um, who left Juventus in the summer, was replaced by the guy that Inter, because of FFP, couldn't sign Cancelo. And boom, ironic. Indeed so. All right, well, anyway, uh, the Classifica currently has Inter a whopping 14 points behind Juve after that defeat. Juve are eight points clear of second place Napoli. Then you have Inter, who are three points clear of Milan, who are in the last Champions League position. Then you've got Lazio point behind them. And Torino in sixth, ahead of a whole bunch of sides like Atalanta, Roma, Sassuolo. Torino could quite easily be 12th if they drop points at the weekend or they lose, because Mm. that's how tight it is between, what, 6th and 12th. A couple of things to mention. First of all, Pippo Inzaghi. How long is he going to last? Well, I mean, what's their next game? Milan. So, I mean, his future could be decided against a team that obviously he's a legend for. And um, fired him. But look at Pippo's hair. He's greying. Yeah. He's greying so quickly. It's a sad sight. I feel, I feel sorry for Pippo. Oh, well, we'll see what happens to him against... against uh, they're in the bottom three now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they have yeah. been for some time. Okay, not far off the bottom three are Genoa, who have taken steps to remediate that situation by firing their manager because it worked so well last time. Started it, well for Prandelli, didn't it? Down to ten men after six minutes. <laughs> His captain, Domenico Crescita, really, well, I mean, harshly sent off against right. Spell. They go behind, but they manage to get back into the game. Play quite well. And there's some, I mean, there are some good players there. As Balladini showed, you can Piontek, get... who scored Piontek again. Piontek and Kouame as right. well. So they started off the season with Davide Balladini. They ditched him for Ivan Juric. How long was Juric there for? Seven games or something? Yeah. And um, now now they bring in Cesare Prandelli, who you guys were saying recently when we, we discussed him has an unfortunate habit of choosing the wrong club to make his comeback at this yeah. doesn't seem to be breaking that trend well also because I think the other offer he'd had recently was was to take over from Paul Clement at Reading oh um, but he'd been, yeah but wow. he'd been out of the game in Italy at least for, yeah. for eight years if you count the fact that he was coaching Italy for four he just wanted to get back into the game somehow he'd been very close to taking over Lazio before Lazio got their heads turned by Bielsa mm. um, and then was in contention for the Udinese job before Davide Nicola got it and just thought, I need to take a job. Right. Well, 
that's the potential for something, I guess, that generate. It does mean... It be sacked. <laughs> <laughs> it does mean that for the first time in 10 years, Gab, all 20 city managers are Italian. So that's nice. My feeling is he maybe could have waited a week or two more and tried to get the Roma job again, where he was briefly a while back, because it does look like things are heading in one direction for De Francesco down in the capital. Their clash with Cagliari last weekend was an interesting one, Gab. Yeah, I mean, there were uh, three absolutely insane finishes in Serie A this weekend. Two involving um, Roman sides exactly. on Saturday. So this one, they're playing a Cagliari team without their best players. So Barella, without Castro. Castro. Somebody else, too, was out. Pavoletti got Pavoletti, in the yeah. warm-up. Yeah, Pavoletti's not great, but you know he's, he's a body up front, right? Yeah. They're winning 2 now. And everything's sorted. Cagliari pull one back. No matter because then they have a guy sent off. No, they had somebody sent off. Two guys sent off. Two guys guys sent sent off and the manager. But by this point, it's already the 90th minute. And Tommaso Giolini, the president of Cagliari, is down on the sidelines getting ready to take on the referee, which he does. Giolini, by the way, is an absolute power tool. (laughs) I thought because he was slightly younger and because he's not from there, I thought, like, you know, he'll bring some semblance. No, Uh it's it's like he's trying to, like, turn into some, like, mini Cellino. But anyway... You're playing 11 against 9, nine. right? So presuming the goalkeeper, the two goalkeepers are in goal, that means that it's 10 versus 8. That means that there's always going to be two people open. You can send them to the far edges of the pitch and pass them the ball because they can't all be covered at the same time, right? It's pretty freaking obvious. You're away from home. You've conceded a goal. This is all you have to do. But no, but no. There's this, this weird ball over the top. Marco Sao runs onto it. I love I Marco know- Sao. Yeah, the, 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 the defense will get kind of confused, and and he goes and and, and he beats he beats Olsen, who by the way, come on, a goalkeeper named Robin, come on now. Uh, anyway, this is the ninety sixth minute. In the ninety sixth minute, if and you, you drop like two that, points. You're going to love what Lazio did with Sampdoria in the capital. This was spectacular. So Sampanchi took the lead. Quagliarella, who's mm-hmm. enjoying a, another fantastic season, puts them ahead. The Euros with Italy should do if yeah. they get there, which they will. Well, we'll see. But then Lazio equalise. Now, it's after the 90th minute when Lazio take the lead, isn't it? With that Lazio penalty. equalise in the 95th minute. 95th <laughs> minute. So, bingo. All right, it was late, but they did it. Immobile scores a penalty. Samp have had a player sent off as well. So, mm-hmm. they're now a man down. And it's the 95th minute. Job done. It was late, but we did it, guys. And then... <laughs> What a goal. I mean, Unbelievable. So, this is the 99th minute now. Yeah. Are you uh, going to get upset about this one as well, Gab? No, this one, to some degree, I can give a pass because this one's so improbable. There's like a long ball into the box and Saponara, he's turned the, the wrong way. His body shape is all is all weird. He himself says that, oh, I jumped and I closed my eyes, which, you know, sometimes people close their eyes on headers, but, right. you know, at least you see the ball coming in. You kind of feel like he just closes his eyes and says like, you know, he's a religious man. He says, God, it's in your hands. Somehow the ball strikes, is it, is it the outside it's of the his outside, boot, right? Yeah. This flying and, volley, I mean, total and, kung fu. Man. And it's a total weird loop. It's the kind of thing Slatan would do, and you'd Definitely. be like, all right, you know, that's Slatan. But and, and it beats the keeper, and it's 2-2. And then it gets even better, and I, I tweeted these out. You can find these pictures because they're, they're extraordinary. Naturally, he starts running off towards to, to go and celebrate with the fans, towards a cooler, because, you know, I'll get booked. Who cares, right? So he takes off his shirt. But then he takes off his undershirt because, like all good Italians, he's wearing his Maglia della Salute, which I know you really love because it's winter. Um, In summer as well. Yeah. And all, always. 
Yeah. So he's jumping up into the stands, hugging somebody, and then he starts to take off his trousers as well. Yeah. Full um, Decanio. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, Decanio had the appropriate situation for it. This, I'm not so sure. But then you, you see one of his teammates, and somebody tried to identify. It's Tonelli. Is, is it? It's Tonelli. With, with the arm tattoos? Yeah. Who's got his hand basically inside his rectum, holding him up. <laughs> It's the weirdest. It's so the then weird. he pulls his pants down and then basically realizes that, oh, my friend's pants are down and everyone's watching. I better try and cover this up. So he puts his hand <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But anyway, somebody's very, very comfortable with, with nakedness and naked right. bodies and his friends. I think most footballers are. Yeah, some yeah. more than others, but, you know. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, that was nice. And you mentioned three spectacular finishes. Are we going to talk about Sassuolo Fiorentina? Oh. You know, yeah. I mean, that was, just, that was just loopy. I mean, again, these two teams haven't won since September. Kind of play good football, but it's not going for them. Uh, Sassuolo go 2-0 up. Um, looks like it's home and dry. Fiorentina managed to get one back for Cholito Simeone, who hadn't scored in like 14 hours. Uh, had had to come off the bench because he'd been dropped for this game. Um, but then Sassuolo looked like, again, they get back in two-goal lead, 3-1. And... Just craziness happens in what the stoppage time again is it ninety six minutes time? Miralas, former Everton star Kevin, exactly making it three three. It was absolutely absolutely unreal finish. This is where you say where else but in right? <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And on top of all of that, to put the cherry on top of the delightful cake that was the weekend in Italy. Nil nil between Milan and Torino. Oh, no, how fantastic was that? Yeah. No. Donnarumma saves though. Yeah, the 1-1 draw between Parma and Chievo. Chievo now up to three points, and it could have been more if it wasn't for the most spectacular free kick over the weekend. Ah, Bruno Alves. That was incredible, wasn't now, it? This came We're learning that from Cristiano Ronaldo. Had he? Is that something... <laughs> yeah, he scored eight in his career. Has he? Because his best friend is Cristiano Ronaldo. And yeah, they, they, they regularly call each other up. They, they trade notes on... Um, free on kicks? Nutrition. No, on nutrition as well. Okay. Apparently, Maybe Alves um, can teach Ronaldo how to do free kicks. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, Alves has apparently learned this sort of uh, anti-inflammatory drink that um, is made with, um, what is it, turmeric. Oh, yeah, that, nice. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo really likes. If I can nice. say that about Bruno Alves, mm-hmm. so he's obviously played all over the world. He's played in, in, in Scotland. weird countries like Scotland. And, <laughs> what did you and play for in Scotland? Rangers. Rangers, City. yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Played for Zenit and stuff. Because he's, what, 36 now? Yeah, yeah. The fact that at 36, he can still play and contribute. He's been excellent he, for them. He's As you say, only in Italy. No, exactly. No, but I mean, I think there's something to be said for this guy who clearly... You know, he may not be as maniacal as Cristiano in terms of looking after him and taking you know, taking care of his body, but he is very much a professional, and that gets lost because sometimes he's those psychopathic fouls, and he's you know he's a bit slow and whatever, and you know he looks like the 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 more handsome, worse version of Pepe, you know, sometimes when he plays, but. You know, he's he's doing it. Yeah. I think he scored, what, two in the last three games. He made really? a goal line clearance as well. Because Palmer, up until this point, were up in the European places, yeah. up until the Milan game. The three guys that they got real last minute, Jovino, Inglese, uh-huh. and Bruno Alves, have given them a real sort of chance of not only staying up, but maybe doing something a little bit more than that. Wow. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, much to look forward to then this weekend. And we'll be back next midweek with further reflections on the extraordinary cultural and sporting entity that is Italian football. Hopefully, listener, you'll be joining us then. Many thanks, Gabriele, for this extended edition of Golazzo. It's my pleasure. And you, James Horncastle. Yeah, always. And you, listener. For now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. Gabriele,
You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>